Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again to get ready for another Pittsburgh Steelers contest. This time around, they're getting set to take on the Minnesota Vikings in the Twin Cities. Hi, my name is Brian Anthony Davis, the podcast producer at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. With me, as always, is my good buddy. He is Kevin Smith, KT Smith, or Cliff Harris is still a punk or just plain coach. What's going on, buddy? Hey, Brian, uh, you got you got a nice birthday present this past weekend, huh? Yeah, I did. Um, nothing, nothing uh, makes you feel better about turning 50 than the Steelers winning in the way they did. Having one Mr. Harbaugh with egg on his face at the end, um, egg on the face that always looks like it smelled something really sour. And <laughs> so I, I felt great, but. It was nice to see those guys really pull it from their gut, from their heart, and play good football when it counted, and I loved it. And I loved the call by Mike Tomlin at the end of the game to make sure that timeout was called, too. You know, um, some people might think that's basic, but some people forget about that kind of stuff. It was just, it was well coached. It was well executed. Yeah, it was a old-school Steelers-Ravens game. Hitting was good, came down to the very last play. The fourth quarter was great. It was funny. It's funny, man. I, I, I love to watch the most talented people performing at the highest level, like in whatever they'll do, they're, they're doing. I, I really don't care what it is. I mean, it could be tennis, it could be fencing. I'll watch the Kentucky Derby because I know it's like the ultimate horse race. I just like, seeing the, the the highest level performers performing in in the highest level moments there's a there's a i love music and a, and a, I, love, I i played the drums for a long time in my life and there's a special on netflix called count me in where they have like it's just a documentary on some of the world's greatest drummers and they all talk about why they love drumming and then at the end there's like this five or six minute segment where like six or seven of the best drummers in the world all get together and they just jam together. And I'll, I'll just watch that every once in a while from time to time. Cause it's like so enjoyable to watch these really talented people do what they do. And you know, it's funny. I kind of felt like that, that way when I was watching the, the fourth quarter of the Steelers Ravens game, I, I know the Steelers and Ravens aren't two of the elite elite teams in the NFL right now in 2021, maybe the Ravens are, but, but I, I really don't think that they are, but that, that level of football in the fourth quarter, and it being in that rivalry and watching Roethlisberger really be on his game. We, you know, you know, there aren't that many games left where we're going to get to see Ben Roethlisberger look like the old Ben Roethlisberger. And he was in the fourth quarter. And I just went back and rewatched the fourth quarter earlier today, just for the pure enjoyment of it. And, and it just, it just made me like, it, it was very fulfilling, you know, as a Steelers fan, but also as a football fan. Absolutely. And I did not know you were a drummer. I was myself. Oh, oh. right on. I love watching uh, the best, and we lost one of the best last year, Neil Parrott, and I had a chance to meet uh, Buddy Rich maybe about mm. 30 years ago, one of, one of the best of all time as well, and that was just absolutely uh, fantastic. You know, whether it's a, I agree with you, whether it's a great cellist or a great tennis player, the best golfer in the world, I love excellence, and that is so cool to just not... Uh, not just watch these guys play and perform, but watch the science of it as well. And I agree with you. I thought we got that in this game because you had, 
some great players on the field on both offense and defense. You had two of the best kickers in the world as well. So can that performance that the Steelers put on, can that go forward? Can Have they turned a corner or is there still way too much work to do? I hate to, I want to say the first, but I, I think it's the second because Steelers-Ravens is a special game. It's a special rivalry. We saw a much more animated Ben Roethlisberger in that contest than maybe we've seen all season long. The the in the late in the second quarter after Chase Claypool missed a hot check and ended up going deep against the nine man rush when he had off coverage and Roethlisberger wanted him to check into something quick, whether it was a slant or a hitch, whatever it was. Uh, and Roethlisberger wound up almost throwing an interception as a result. And he came off the field and he and he kind of lit into Ike Hilliard, the Steelers receivers coach. And then he said something to James Washington. And then Washington was in in the next series and Claypool was out. So maybe what he said to Washington was, you know, get your butt ready because I'm sick of that guy missing, missing, you know, mental checks. But whatever he said was like a, a visibly animated Ben Roethlisberger that, that we hadn't seen. And here's my question is, does that mean that like this is December Ben Roethlisberger where he'll be engaged like that from here for the rest of the season and we're going to get his best week in and week out because he understands that it's crunch time and this might be the last month of his NFL playing career? Or was that kind of a, a one-off where he, he could reach that level and, and as a team, the Steelers could reach that level for a big game at home against the Ravens, but they're just not good enough and they're too banged up, and up enough to be able to do it week in and week out, especially on a short week. So I don't know the answer to your question. I fear it's the second and that maybe we won't see quite the same level of performance this week. But then again, the opponent's different this week too. Well, I look at it like this, Kevin. I feel like the leadership has recharged and that mentality is recharged in Ben Roethlisberger to go ahead and pull a player from the game. If that's indeed what he did, you know, tell Chase Claypool, that's enough. I thought he was ripping into James Washington. I had no clue what was going on. And I didn't, I wasn't in a point where I could look back to see what happened. So that's actually news to me here. Um, and I'm yeah, glad Washington, sh- Washington wasn't even on the field on that play. Yeah. So I, I was, I was really shocked. So it was probably one of those, what they call a come to Jesus with, with Hilliard to say, look, I don't care if he is, you know, you know, a star on this team, but he's not a star on this field right now. And we need, if you need to get, make sure that these guys are ready for prime time. I mean, if he was saying something like that to him, that makes sense now, but he has a Wi-Fi connection, a great Wi-Fi connection. And that's an old Antonio Brown adage with Ben right now. And they are really in tune. Deontay Johnson and Ben Roethlisberger, man, they're clicking. But Ben can click with other players. And this is this actually encourages me to the fact that you think that uh, they're not tuning up the Wi-Fi with Chase Claypool right now in practice? I'm sure they are. I'm sure it's not a situation where where they're just, you know, let him go languish on the bench. That's not, he's not benched. It's nothing like that, but it's a situation for him to teach. So maybe Ben has regenerized it in teaching again and leading. And that's a, that's a big thing too. 
there were there were times where Ben has looked disinterested and the rest of the team has as well. I'm not saying that that is 100% accurate, but there are some times I, I just felt like they were all disengaged during that Cincinnati game right away after the first interception. So this is the kind of victory that could help them come together. This is the kind of victory that it's a Bill Coward 2005 victory. You know, late in that season where it's in like, hey, guys, we've got an eight game playoff now. It's a little more than that, but a loss is not going to kill you against Minnesota, but you, you still can't have it. So what I'm thinking is that that game possibly unified this team. And if that's the case, then that's going to be fantastic. You have you have a situation here, Kevin where you've got very young guys. I mean, Ben's almost twice some of these guys' age. And so there is definitely a disconnect, and he needs to make sure that that's plugged back in. And that goes with the Wi-Fi. That goes with everything. So hopefully this is where they can turn the corner. They showed they could, but they just can't lose sight of it. Yeah, you never know what the moment is going to be or what the catalyst is going to be to change the direction of a team. It's a long season. You get into lulls. The Steelers had won those uh, four games in a row, and then they hit that lull where they tied Detroit and then just got embarrassed by the Bengals. And then Chase Claypool made those comments about, we need to have more fun at practice. And that might have been a moment where the light bulb kind of went on for Ben Roethlisberger. And as you just alluded to, where he might have said to himself, that's not what we need. Well, what we need is for there to be more accountability and greater leadership. And that's got to start with me because he was, he was the Ben Roethlisberger on, on Sunday against Baltimore that I think we all have wanted to see all season long. And that really, we feel like that's, that's the guy he should be just the, the guy in charge. And again, you don't know, I think back, you just, you just mentioned the 2005 season. I'm sure you remember every Steeler fan who was who who can remember that year will remember the snow game at home against Chicago. The Steelers are seven and five and they need to win that game. They basically need to win out to make the playoffs. And there's a moment in that game where, you know, in the snow, Jerome Bettis trucks Brian Urlacher at the goal line in order to get into the end zone. And the place goes nuts. And it just it just felt like in that moment, the Steelers became a different team and they didn't lose again the rest of the season. They went on and won and won Super Bowl 40. And I'm not saying the Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you never know when that moment is where the light bulb goes on and something happens that just creates a shift. And maybe, maybe that's, that was it. Mike Tomlin, you know, supposedly was uh, at, animated at practice all week last week. They put the pads back on. Claypool made his comments about the music. Roethlisberger and Cam Hayward got pissed, and they seemed to really be, uh, you know, show their d- uh, displeasure to the media. And then they went and backed it up on Sunday. So, who knows, man? Maybe this is really going to be the beginning of a, of an exciting stretch run where where those guys take leadership of the team. It very well could. And don't forget about Saturday as well when the Ian Rappaport news came out about Ben already talking to people because he has a source that says, and I am not a big fan of Ian Rappaport. Those sources have been very wrong 
a lot in the past. I'm not, uh, I am not going to go ahead and challenge his journalistic integrity. I'm not saying that. I made a joke before that's uh, saying that, hey, maybe the inside source is his dog. I don't know. But I, I, I don't want to, I mean, the man's a professional and I, I don't want to just go ahead and rip into this guy because, I mean, he's been doing it, but it seems like the reports from the unknown source don't always come true from Ian. And I think that fired Ben up completely. I think that got him ready because as soon as that came out, Kevin, what happened on the BTSE Slack channel? What happened to every Steeler fan that tweets each other or texts each other? They were talking about who's next. Right. Who's coming in? We heard Garoppolo. We heard, I mean, my, my thought was that it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater and I'm still, that's my bet. If it's not Ben, I think it's Teddy Bridgewater next year. Uh, so, and I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying that's what I think is going to happen. So, you know, it, it's really interesting that fired up Ben because all of this, this kind of stuff, I don't care if you're a future hall of famer or not, that kind of criticism digs down deep and, and gets to the bone and it, it hurts and he he was so fired up to come out of that tunnel in pittsburgh and give that crowd what the crowd richly deserved what that team richly deserved and it it was such a great effort and there's i mean no one else was getting that game ball deontay johnson had an amazing game tj watt had an amazing game ben got the game ball and he got it for a reason because that's what you need yeah so let me ask you this on a short week who who do you think benefits more from the short week is it the Steelers coming off a really really big emotional win at home or is it Minnesota who just lost to the Lions and you know, everything I've read about Minnesota this week, the sky is falling in Minnesota. And there's talk about Mike Zimmer, his job being on the line. If the, if the Vikings don't finish the year strong about Kirk Cousins, who is under contract for next season, but was looking at a big contract extension. And now there's lots of talk about how they, they might move on from Cousins and all sorts of ramifications, even up to the GM, Rick Spielman, who, you know, who they've mentioned, you know, maybe his job's on the line as well. So is it the momentum that the Steelers got from a big win or is it the desperation and the, you know, so-called fight for their lives this season that the Vikings might feel, you know, which team benefits uh, on a short week? I would absolutely have to say that it's the Vikings that kind of have an interesting momentum here because Minnesota, they are the Pittsburgh Steelers of last week going into that game. The Steelers got absolutely embarrassed by the Cincinnati Bengals. So they come out here and they lose in the final seconds. And I was watching it on TV. I turned it on right when I, I didn't even know the score of the game. I just said, Hey, I want to check this game. And I turned it on right when, they were uh, there was a pass interference that wasn't called against Detroit. And you looked like Detroit was, you thought Detroit was going to get screwed by the referees here. And next thing you know, Jared Goff is completing that ball to uh, St. Brown. So that is the lowest of the low 
even lower than the Steelers tying the Detroit Lions a few weeks back. You know, but they had just come off of a win streak and and it was still not a loss. So when you're looking at that and what the Steelers went through last week, and I use this, I've been using this phrase a lot lately because I hope it's not offensive to anybody, but a come to Jesus conversation, <coughs> excuse me, a come to Jesus conversation is something that uh, they have been having. And you know, Mike Tomlin was having it. You know, Ben Roethlisberger's having it. And then when Chase, Chase is young, we, we forget he's a kid, you know, and we, uh, and he's making those comments and, Cam Hayward wanted to rip the rip the uh, speakers out of the wall, <laughs> and I don't blame him. I I felt like that too when I read it. I'm like, oh come on, man! But you know, there's still a lot of momentum that comes out of the victory too. It's just ha- what you do with that excitement. And the Steelers, the one thing that scares me about this young Steelers team is that they rest on laurels sometimes like, all right, Hey, we won the losing streaks over. We're good. And I, I can't help to think that that's not the mentality in some places, but if the conversations that happened with the, uh, the vocal conversations with the pads, if all of that was effective and they got through to some players, then you're in good shape. Then the momentum will carry. It's just, it's just, you can't stop. You have to keep on going. And the Steelers in the past few years have stopped when things have been going well. And when it starts to go bad, it, it goes bad. So I'm looking for a hot December from this team and they really need a hot December. And they're in a situation, Kevin, where, the toughest game that they have on their schedule is the Kansas City Chiefs, which if you lose that, you're not dead. A lot of teams have tough schedules. I mean, you don't want to lose it, but you're it's not going to throw you out of the mix. The You've got the Browns that are, are kind of in disarray. You have the Ravens that just lost a guy in Humphrey, and they're kind of in disarray. Cincinnati's in bad shape and they've got a dislocated thumb on Joe Burrow. Now, I don't think that's going to do too much, but that's something you can think about too. So they know that they're in position. They are in striking distance. They're right around number nine right now. I thought they were going to be at number eight, but they are nine in the conference, but they have plenty of opportunities. If they take care of their own business, they don't need help at this point, Kevin. Yeah, the opening certainly there. And your, the point you just made is a really good one. And I think we'll learn an awful lot about the Steelers this week. It was last week a turning point or was it just another example of the Steelers being able to rise up in the moment but not carry the momentum forward? But as far as Minnesota is concerned, you mentioned that last play against Detroit. I, I, I watched that live too. And, and honestly, when they – came out of the huddle Detroit when they came out of the huddle and Minnesota lined up I I actually paused the TV and I was sitting with my wife was sitting right there and I said babe look at the look at 
look at the coverage. Look at how the defenders are lined up. My wife's actually pretty knowledgeable about, about football. And she said to me, because you know, she knows the last play of the game, Detroit's on the 11-yard line. And she said to me, why are those guys in the back? She didn't know what they're, you know, she didn't know to call them safeties, but whatever. <laughs> she said, why are those guys in the back lined up so, so deep in the end zone? And I said, that's a great question, babe. That is a great question. Why are they lined up so deep in the end zone? Detroit's safeties were five yards deep in the end zone pre-snap. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, they're going to, they're going to jump to the jump up to the goal line or something at the, at, at the snap of the football. And, and they didn't, they just sat there. It was astounding. I've never seen uh, such a, a fundamentally unsound alignment on a play on a big play like that. And then I read in an article in the athletic today that that wasn't a mistake. That was the call that they called that particular coverage with that particular defensive alignment in the huddle coming out of a timeout. So, so that they wanted their safeties that deep. And, and the hope was that if they threw the ball in front of them, they'd react up, but they, but they anticipated Detroit trying to throw some kind of a, of a ball to the back of the end zone to TJ Hawkinson over everybody's head. So they backed their safeties off. But, but if you lose a game like that on a call that's so fundamentally unsound and that call came from the head coach, that to me creates a lot of locker room conversation and things are already not going real well. And the Lions got, or the Vikings got tight in the, on that last drive. They had been blitzing the heck out of Detroit all game. Jared Goff is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL against the Blitz. And Minnesota backed off and just played soft, soft, soft on one play with about 30 seconds left in the game. And Detroit out of timeouts. The Lions completed a pass in between the hashes, right in the middle of the field. And Minnesota's coverage was so soft that the receiver was able to run out of bounds and stop the clock from the middle of the field, which tells you that they were playing in such a passive mode that Detroit scoring almost felt inevitable. And again, that, that creates some locker room chatter. You know, why, why were we doing this? Why were we in this coverage? And when the players start to question the calls that are coming in, you really begin to build some major dissension. So so I'm really curious about how Minnesota responds to this because this could go one of two ways for the Vikings. It could be a backs against the wall moment where they where we see their best game of the season because they know if they lose this year, the season's over. Uh, or it could be just uh, everybody starting to question everybody, the locker room falling apart, the quarterback not getting a, a real vote of confidence from uh, ownership or, or anybody in the organization. And it could wind up being a disaster and work that works in Pittsburgh's favor. And that's true. And it's the hearts that beat in the chest of those purple jerseys that that's going to tell the tale as well. So this could be something very interesting to watch on a programming note, check out know your enemy tomorrow night, because we will find out what's going on in Vikings camp from somebody from Minnesota talking about this team and it'll be really interesting. So uh, tune in to Michael Beck and Jeffrey Bennett to check that show out. We're going to take a break and we're going to talk about the hearts that beat in those purple jerseys when we get back and who is dangerous to the Steelers. So check it out right here on btsc.com. It's the pregame show. Here we go.
welcome back to the Steeler pregame show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Alongside me, as always, is Kevin Smith. We like to double team you and do this together, and it's a great time. And we're ha- we're, we're still walking on sunshine when we're talking about the Steelers over the Ravens. But here's the thing: that game's over. This team needs to move forward, and it's on a short week in Minnesota. Now, short week, you talked about it earlier, Kevin. Do you think with the injury situation that that is a benefit to the Steelers side when you're only getting about three games in between? Yeah, um, Minnesota's fairly banged up last week against Detroit. They played without some of their best players. Uh, Dalvin Cook, Christian Darrisaw, Adam Thielen, uh, Anthony Barr on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, a few of those guys will be back. Uh, some of those guys are kind of still limited in practice or, or were out of practice. So it, it's hard to know specifically about Thielen and Darisaw. Uh, Darisaw is an interesting name, obviously, because I think a few weeks ago when, uh, when we were talking about uh, the Steelers playing against the Tevin Jenkins, the big tackle at Oklahoma State, we brought up Darisaw's name because he was a big draft crush of uh of a lot of Steelers fans yeah right I mean we all felt like and and you and I actually had that conversation about like what would have happened if Darisol was still on the board in the first round would the Steelers have gone Najee Harris would they have jumped at Darisol Darisol has been really good he's probably been the best offensive rookie offensive lineman in the league this year Uh, I have no idea what would have happened yeah that would have been fascinating right but you know what would have happened is the Steelers would probably be talking about a uh, top draft pick for next season because you don't win the games when you're when you're trying to rebuild a team without a running back you know you know what i'm saying i i just don't think they would have won games because of derisaw but they would have uh, but they've definitely won games because of harris you're the coach you could tell me if i'm wrong there well i <laughs> I, I, I always have the philosophy that you build from, from the inside out, which means you build from the line on, on out. But that's a, that's a high school mentality. I'm, this is an NFL mentality where the Steelers had one of the worst running back rooms in the NFL last season. And so they clearly needed to upgrade the running back room. Now, had Darrison been there, Darrison been there, could they have took, taken him and then jumped at like a Javante Williams in the second round? I mean, he went in the second round to Denver, so – would he have been around or, you know, maybe Michael Carter, his teammate, one of those guys, and could they have made the impact Harris has? But, hey, if we're criticizing the Steelers taking Najee Harris, we're being pretty short-sighted because he's Absolutely. he's still – I you know, I still believe he's the Steelers' offensive MVP this year. Not Deontay? No, I, I think I think Harris is, honestly. I, I, just, okay. I just feel – I mean, Deontay Johnson's been great, no question about that, but I just feel like – the Steelers Harris has done so many things for the offense that they couldn't do or can't do with some combination of Benny Snell and whomever the second back, I mean, whether it's Balazs or, or whom, whatever backup that you want to insert there. I just feel like, yeah, I, one thing I noticed with Harris in the game against Baltimore, Baltimore went with a lot of what we call like amoeba looks where, where they're putting seven, eight, 
on one snap, the snap where, where Roethlisberger got angry at, at Claypool, nine. They had nine guys literally lined up at the line of scrimmage. And the challenge, of course, from that look is for Roethlisberger to figure out who's coming and who's dropping into coverage. So if they got eight guys walked up to the on the ball, they're going to probably bring five or maybe six, and they're going to drop two or three. And he's got to figure out where they're coming from. And so does the protection. And it's a, it's a tough look. And, and when they were going, when, when Baltimore was, was executing that scheme, I was watching Najee Harris a lot. And boy, his blitz pickups were excellent. He is not afraid to stick his nose in there. And he was doing a tremendous job of just getting a body on a body. And you saw Roethlisberger only got sacked one time all game. And it was one of his best games of the season because he had more time in the pocket than he's had pretty much all season long. So there's those little things that Harris does really, really well that don't go uh, noticed. So, yes, I agree. Johnson's been great. I think Harris has been more valuable. Harris has my vote if I had one. And I agree with you. And that's why I brought this up at the beginning why that I, I believe in Darisaw and I thought he would have been great and they would have been, they would have done well taking him, but I don't think the team wins as many games because of what Najee has been doing for everything you just said right there. Yeah. Now, Darisaw is a, 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 uh, a pick that's going to bolster your line down the road, but you're going to need additional help uh, to make, to make the, uh, the the maximum imp- impact. Hey, quick quick shout out while we're talking linemen. John Leglue. Whoa. Yeah, who the hell was this kid, man? I hadn't, I, I'd never even heard of it. I didn't even know he was on the roster. I'll be totally honest. I did not look, he, I saw 77 come in the game. I was like, who's this big dude? I've never seen this guy before. Uh, wow. He played tremendously. I just remember him from training camp. And I thought he had some uh, really good signs of life in training camp as well. Uh, he, you know, the, the thing about Leglu, he's he really has a Matt Filer type of uh, uh, vibe to him. You know, he, he seems like he's a guy that could come in and never go away. I, I really feel that because the Steelers do that well. That's something they really do. They're, they're very good at taking an undrafted guy and making them special. And we've seen some of those guys go to the Pro Bowl. Villanova, yeah. Alejandro Villanueva being one of them. But well, yeah. It's funny. He's got a he's got a Villanueva vibe in, in a sense. He's 6'7", 3'10". You know, he could he could use a little bit of muscle, but he's he's uh athletic and long and rangy and an undrafted kid who just has worked his butt off and been in a bunch of different camps and I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be be great, but you never know. That he, he was he was getting movement on those Baltimore down linemen. He he and Dan Moore Jr. in the fourth quarter were opening up legitimate holes for the Steelers to, to run through, and it was just thrilling to watch. So I don't know. Maybe they found something with him. You know what's funny? We've gotten way off subject because we were talking about injuries, but I want to continue with this real quick. When you look at the fact that you've got a LeGlue, and we might be jumping the gun with LeGlue, but pretty excited about him being on the Steelers and Dan Moore Jr. and Kendrick Green. And it's funny, they're rebuilding an offensive line and in the playoff conversation still, which is something very Steeler-like. They uh the re we always talk about the reloading, but they're they're starting over with the 
they're basically starting over with this offensive line because the guy that was the, uh, the main veteran that you talked about and only a second year man, Kevin Dotson has been injured. And uh, of course there's Chooks. Uh, Chooks is, is a four year man. So, you know, you get that as well, but they're really changing the way they do things on that offensive line each and every week. And they were showing signs of life. And then they hit a November wall and December's coming December's here. And they're starting to really feel themselves now. I mean, there's no doubt that we're excited about Kendrick green. And I think everybody that knows the Steelers are invested in Dan Moore jr. Now he still has the job banners back. He's not playing a lot, but Dan Moore Jr. did not lose his job, and that was the question everybody talked about. Right. Yeah, I think the Steelers really like him. In fairness to him, he, he's, he started alongside five different left guards this year. Offensive line play is so much about cohesion and communication, and to have five different playing partners in your first year when you're learning everything from, I don't want to say from scratch, but everything's new to you, uh, and you're still adjusting to the speed of the game and the talent across the ball from you, uh, to have a guy next to you who you can rely upon. I mean, it'd be wonderful if Dan Moore Jr. had some veteran, a, a David DeCastro next to him, who could really stabilize things and show him the ropes. He's had five different playing partners. But the funniest uh, thing is that the guy he seemed to work the best with was LeGlue. Those two guys really worked well together. And who knows? Maybe they just maybe they have good chemistry. Maybe they maybe they communicate well together. I don't know what it is, or maybe it's a one-off. We don't know yet, but that was really exciting to watch. The best thing about LeGlue, he's playing out of position. He's a tackle. Yeah. He, he played everywhere in college. He played uh, tackle guard and center. And he talked about that. He said, one of the biggest reasons I'm on the roster here is my, is my position flexibility. Well, I, I gotta do it. I gotta be cheesy. LeGlue might be the LeGlue that sticks. I, it was so, it was it was teed up for you right there. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You, you really do. So <laughs> yeah. let, let's. All right, uh, Vikings. I'm sorry, I got you off track. No, I, I love it. That's. I mean, we're getting some good stuff. We're just we're not talking about '80s movies like I usually <laughs> get off on. So yeah, here we go. We they're missing uh, this team. I'll be shocked if you see Adam Thielen, and Adam Thielen is a guy like Cooper Cup which he catches a lot of balls, makes a lot of touchdowns. Uh, He's just very dangerous. And, but he helps make Mr. Jefferson, Justin Jefferson better too. And Justin Jefferson's a superstar Yep, and and he makes him better. And he's also a guy that made Stefan Diggs tradable for a fourth rounder, you know? So with him not being in the lineup, that's a very big deal, Kevin, to me. Darasaw's has an ankle as well, and they're coming off of a they're coming off of a short week, so it's hard to get back in there. Now, Dalvin Cook is the guy I want to talk to you about. He has a shoulder injury, and when you're a running back, you know how important the shoulder is. Yeah. Am am I overstating this, or is it going to be hard for him to get back? He is in practice limited. He was a limited participant in practice today, but you're, you're risking a lot as a running back. And this is a question I'm asking you. I mean, 
is it going to be tough for him to get on the field with a bad shoulder as a running back? So shoulder injuries are often the your your availability with a shoulder injury is often a matter of how much pain can you play through. It's not like a lower body injury like a knee or an ankle where it's going to affect your ability to move. Uh, I mean, it, you know, if you're a running back and you can't cut or you can't do explosive things, then you can't play. But with a shoulder injury, it's just a matter of how what's your pain tolerance, because oftentimes. That's just, there's nothing you can really do for it. You can play through it. I mean, I, I separated my one shoulder several times. I dislocated my other one and wound up having surgery on it. And what I played was separated shoulders and it just kind of stunk, you know, it hurt, but it was just a matter of, you know, play through it, play through it. As a running back though, there's a stylistic element in play. And Dalvin Cook is a physical runner. He is a lower your shoulder and run through guys type of runner. He's not necessarily you're sort of quick scat back who is going to make dudes miss and then run out of bounds. So his style of play could definitely be impacted by this injury. And that'll be really interesting to watch. I mean, how much is he going to be able to withstand physical contact in the hole? Uh, and, and, you know, will he be able to play through that? So I'm not saying that I'm happy that he hurt his shoulder. I'm just saying that if that limits his effectiveness against the Steelers, that would certainly benefit Pittsburgh. Is he the biggest threat if he's in this game for the Steelers or do they need to look elsewhere as far as who's keeping the defensive coordinator, Keith Butler up at night? Yeah, I mean, Jefferson, Jefferson's great. You, you, you just mentioned it. He had 11 catches against Detroit last week. He's a great player. And, and he's even better when Thielen's in the game, like you said, because Thielen can do a lot of stuff in the slot and occupy safeties and puts Jefferson one-on-one on the outside. Without Thielen, the Steelers might be able to play a little more cover, too, and keep a safety over top to protect against the deep ball. The real issue, though, is Kirk Cousins. He, he's just been, uh, you know, the king of the, of the you know, short and intermediate throw. Steelers fans get frustrated sometimes with Roethlisberger and how often he's throwing the short stuff. But that's usually a product of his pass protection where he's got to get the ball out quickly. With Cousins... It's just been dink and dunk, dink and dunk. I don't know if it's he's not confident throwing the deep ball or if he's just you know become conditioned to throw the ball underneath. But you read about how frustrated Vikings fans are with his inability to push the ball down the field. So that might limit some of Jefferson's effectiveness. Of course, the Steelers don't tackle better than they've tackled pretty much all season. It's not going to matter because Dalvin Cook's a dude you got to get physical with to get on the ground. And Jefferson's an athlete who can make people miss in space and create home runs as a result. So fundamentally, the Steelers need to be fundamentally sound to deal with both of those guys. On defense, Anthony Barr is going to be back. He says he's going to play. Patrick Peterson, he is back from the COVID list, and he's expected to play. And if you don't know who Patrick Peterson, superstar for the Cardinals all those years. So as a defensive back, uh, as a defensive back, he is in there and he's dangerous too. Is there a certain guy that you're really worried about here? Because I have one guy and it's a guy that a lot of Steeler fans might not be acquainted with. He is a miles Garrett type player. He is my gosh. He's He's an Aaron Donald type player. He's so dangerous on that line, that defensive line, and it's Daniil Hunter. 
Yeah. Um, the guy that I really like on their defense, well, two of them, uh, yeah, I, I really like the linebacker, Eric Kendricks. I think that he is a kind of a guy that you got to get a body on. That uh, He's really good at finding the seams. They talk about linebacker reads. You know, you hear, you hear the phrases like cloudy and clear that if you get a clear gap, you go. And he's really good at exposing those clear gaps. Uh, and he's all, he's very, very athletic. He, he's a guy, a guy that I think that they'll try to put on uh, Pat Fryermuth if they can get him on Fryermuth a little bit. Um, but I, and I also love Harrison Smith, the strong safety. I, I, I would have loved to have seen Harrison Smith as a stealer. He's a hitter. He just feels like a stealer. He's a hitter and, uh, and a great leader. So, so those two guys, I think, are, are, are the dudes that uh, other, you know, with, with bar questionable or out that, that I think the Steelers have to really account for. All right. So it's prediction time here. I'm going to go ahead and go first. I'll be perfectly honest with you. This game scares the heck out of me. Steelers have every opportunity to win this game. It's a, uh, it's a road trip short time. Not, I mean, but the Steelers are relatively healthy in this game, but that defense of Minnesota scares me. And I've seen this movie a whole heck of a lot before when you go out of conference on the road, it's tough. So I'm actually going to go ahead and say Minnesota 31 Steelers 26. Um, Okay. So uh, my rule for picking the Steelers this year has been the following. I'm picking them to win unless I'm really certain they're going to lose. And I, and I think really certain means I got to like in my mind be 75% or better certain that they will lose. Like last week, I, I kind of thought that they would lose, but it was, a, it was, it was more like a 60, 40. And, and in my mind, I was like, that's close enough for me to pick the Steelers uh, just because I want to pick the Steelers and I'm an optimist, et cetera. Uh, and so, so I asked myself this question, Do, am, am I convinced the Steelers are going to lose this week? And the answer is no. So if I'm not convinced that they're going to lose, I'm going to pick them to win. And I'll just tell you quickly, the reason I'm going to pick them to win is because I think that last week may have shook something loose in Ben Roethlisberger. Maybe for all the reasons we talked about earlier in the show, he's now that we're into December and we're down the stretch, he's really starting to see the end of his career. And I think he wants to go out in a manner that's befitting of a Hall of Fame quarterback. And while the entire game is not on his shoulders, I just think you're going to see him elevate his play, but more importantly, elevate his leadership. So with that said, on a short week where the Steelers can carry that momentum that they got on Sunday forward into Minnesota, uh, I think it'll be close again, but I think they're going to win. I'm going to go 24-20 Steelers. I love it. I absolutely love it. And here, I just have thick enough skin where I can say is like, uh, I'll just, uh, and I'm, I am an optimist. I just, uh, I'm just looking back and I'm trying to think about some things here. And when I pick against the Steelers, they typically win. So that's, uh, I, I'm kind of trying to play that role as well. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to be surprised if the Steelers do win this game and I'm optimistic that they can, there's just something nagging at me. And it's that defense of 
the Minnesota Vikings and it's Kirk Cousins as well. There's there's something about him that's bothering me in this game too, where I think it might be tough with a team that is going through all kinds of adversity. You get what you get when you have the Steelers and the Ravens last week. I'm afraid that that might be this week too, but I'll just choose to live in my fears this week and celebrate when the Steelers uh, prove me to be stupid. And that's what I'm hoping for, Kevin. Ryan, if, if you have to be stupid for the Steelers to make the playoffs, please be stupid. Hey, I have no problem with that. <laughs> you could, you could, carte blanche, you could call me that. Uh, I know. I, us, hey, I, I think, I, I think my record picking Steelers games this year is like four and eight. So <laughs> I'm the stupid one, you know. Well, that being said, it's, it's been a weird year and it continues to be one, but it's glorious because it's December. We're talking about the Steelers. They, possibly making the playoffs some people think i'm crazy i'm telling you i think they're making the playoffs i will say that i'm not picking them in this game but i really have a good gut feeling about the postseason with this team so we will find out so get your terrible towel ready it's gonna be a good one kevin thanks so much we appreciate you absolutely go Steelers. All right, for Kevin Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. I already told you to get that terrible towel, so you know what to do. Twirl it up and start rooting. 